Welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Gosowski here as usual with my favorite critic, Courtney Small. Hello, how are you doing today? Great. How are you? I am doing well. We we have made it to the end of TIFF. Yes, we've seen a lot of stuff. Uh, we've gone through the madness. We've come out the other side. I think we're still okay. We're not mad completely. And uh, we have a lot of stuff to talk about still. Yeah, and um, you know, I will kick it off with the the theme of survival. Um, I did see Barry Levinson's new film called The Survivor. Um, it is a drama starring Ben Foster, and it's uh, basically the biopic of Harry Haft, who was a Polish Jewish boxer um, who I guess. One of the heights of his fame was fighting um, Rocky Marciano back in the day, but he was known as um, the pride of Poland and the survivor of Auschwitz. So the film looks at his life after um, the war is over, but also flashing back to his time in Auschwitz to show you exactly how he survived when a lot of people only um, lasted like six months or so. Um, and you, in the flashbacks, it's, done it all in black and white and you see that he basically was under the control of a particular um, Nazi general who saw something in him and basically taught him how to box and then had him while he was in the camps basically fighting um, boxing other Jewish uh, men to the death while the Nazi soldiers gambled and bet on that and it's, it shows like that and other things that occurred to him, how that trauma impacted him in later years and as he got married and had kids and all that. It's it's a very good film. Ben Foster gives one of the great performances of the year. Um, for a film that is a boxing drama, it doesn't feel like regular boxing films. You know, there's a lot of them that kind of build up to epic fight. And although Rocky Marciano there's a lot of talk about him getting ready for that. That almost feels like an afterthought in the grand scheme of things. So it's a it's a good film. I felt it was a little a little long, a little bloated around the edges. But as I said, the performances alone make this film worth it. And I think it's one of Barry Levinson's best films in in recent years. Highly recommend that. And uh, another that film that had a great performance, but I wasn't as keen on was The Guilty. And it's Anton Fuqua's new film. And it's a remake of, I believe, a 2018 Danish film of the same name. And in this version, Jake Gyllenhaal plays a police officer who has been demoted from duty. And he is now essentially working at the dispatch um, 911 call center while his case is being reviewed. And he gets a call from a woman during the California wildfires and figures out that she has been abducted. And so from the dispatch center, he has to try and use his knowledge, his police contacts, whatever he can do to figure out what has happened to this woman, where she is, and how can they save her. Um, so the concept is, is quite interesting. And I will say it did make me want to see the original film because I feel there's a lot of 
interesting tension to be explored in this film. And the film hits some dark aspects, which I wasn't expecting, but it never commits to it. Whereas I feel like the original probably did. Um, but as a, as a showcase for Jake Hall's talents, he is sensational in this film. Like he literally has to be your focal point because the film pretty much takes place all in this call center and you're focused on him often alone for a good bulk of it. So he, he is great. I just didn't feel that for me personally, the film didn't work on that tension level that it was, it was striving for. So, you know, I, it's, it's a film that is coming out on in theaters, but also it will be, it's a Netflix production. So I think it'll probably hit the streaming services. If you can't make it to the theaters, I think in October, it'll probably be um, on Netflix by the end of this year. And I know changing the tone from thrillers to something a little more subdued. Uh, I think we both saw Mothering Sunday. Did you want to yes. say a few words on that? Yes, Mothering Sunday is a complete tonal change from uh, the films you've been discussing. Um, I, I found it to be, well, it's romantic, uh, but it's, it's more than that. And it's got this this delicate quality, which I think is uh, very suitable for the subject matter. It's it's post World War One England. Um, I never thought I would be this fascinated by post World War One England. You know, in the countryside with rich people. You know, I watched it more. You know, out of curiosity. And then it just, it really sucked me in. Um, and I will admit, I watched it because it said that Olivia Coleman was in it. And I've decided that, you know, based on her previous performances, uh, both, you know, on the big screen and, you know, when she when she's at award ceremonies, that, that wonderful quality she has, it's just something completely fascinating about the woman. But, um, she, okay, so... She's not actually like um, doesn't have a major role in the film. So the film, you know, as I mentioned, ha- it mostly takes place amongst these rich families. Um, it's 1924. It doesn't feel like the Roaring Twenties, uh, mostly because we're in the countryside. These lavish, rich sets. The countryside as well is very. Uh, there's a lyrical quality to it that. I think um, the film itself takes on and it takes that quality on because of the decision by the director, Eva Hosson, to to set it from the point of view of one of the servants. Uh, And that's why I think the film is really much more interesting and has this sort of magical quality to it, because in her eyes, this world of the rich is magical and what we do find out very quickly is that these rich people may have it all in our eyes but in fact have lost a lot most of them have lost children in world war one and this many years later it is still having an effect on them that's what makes the film like really have this touching quality and there seems to be this kind of tension as well because you know something's going to bubble up to the surface. So um, so basically what, what's happening is that Jane, this young woman, the maid, um, she's working for this couple, the Nivens, 
they are friends, you know, they see their friends regularly, these other couples, um, and all of them have lost children in World War One, except for this couple, the sharing homes. They have one son who came back. His two brothers died in the war. Um, so there is this sense of, of not just loss on the part of the parents, but his own survivor's guilt and his own memories of his brothers. Um, what happens is that on a day off, on a day when everyone's given the day off, basically Mothering Sunday, uh, Jane, we find out, is having a romantic relationship uh, with this young man, Paul. This is what I thought made the film really interesting, was that now we get to see his privileged world from her eyes. And Odessa Young is absolutely captivating. They're all captivating in their own ways. But even the romantic relationship, even this tryst that they embark on, has this sort of, like I said, this lyrical, but it, there's also this elegiac quality to it that, that as you know, life is going on, as she's having this wonderful sexual awakening, uh, as these two are having this beautiful affair, things start to unravel outside of their world. Like when when we're with the couple, it's it's very intimate, and then you, you, that's offset by what's happening with you know the parents, all the couples of parents that have gotten together for their own kind of relationships, you know for their own kind of gatherings yeah it's a it's a interesting film i don't i didn't enjoy it as much as you did i think um i was really wrapped up and engaged in the first half of it and then for me the film hit a wall um i think maybe just around when a, a key mo a key incident occurs and then I just, I don't know, there was something either was the pacing or what, but I felt like the film kind of lost its momentum. So as I'm watching um, Jane go through the, mo the motions and, you know, was becoming a writer and going through the steps of all that, I just, and they were kind of flashing forward in her life. There was aspects of the forward life. That I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. I want to see more of that. But then it would go back and the stuff that they were going back to, I didn't find as engaging. So it was, it was a film that I was with for the first half. I'm like, oh, this is really interesting. Again, similar to you, I popped in because Colin Firth and Olivia Coleman were in it. Um, and it hooked me by the, with the story, the first part. I just, I don't know, I just wish it had kind of remained consistent. But I think that's just my own qualms with the film. So I, by the end, I was like, oh, it's, it's fine. I just, I was hoping for a lot more. So, okay, so a mixed reaction to that one. Yes, and, I, and I'll give you one that I also had a, a mixed reaction to, similar thing where I was drawn in by the star of the film. And again, the first half was great, and then it kind of went a little hayward. Um, and that is Encounters, and it's a film that stars um, Riz Ahmed, Oscar-nominated actor from Sound of Metal. And he plays a um, father and... Marine, who is 
basically going on this secret mission to battle an alien invasion that has occurred. Aliens have come to the planet and they're using insects and mosquitoes and whatnot to infect um, humans and take over. So he goes on this mission to save his sons before they are infected as well. And the film ends up turning into a bit of a, a road movie. But as the film progresses, you start to question um, not only his character's motives, but the invasion itself, right? Like, are, is the invasion actually playing out the way that we're being told it's, it's playing out? And um, I can't go into anything deeper than that because I'll kind of spoil the, the twist of the film. But I will say the first half of the, of this movie was was quite tense it was really interesting you know seeing this estranged father trying to reconnect with his um two young sons was was very captivating to watch and then it hits a point where the film starts to make some strange decisions like they introduce characters that really don't serve any other purpose but to you know create some what i call fake tension because we didn't really have enough time to to spend with them and and the kids as as great as they are um in terms of giving their performances they make some decisions where the first time you go okay kids will be kids they're young and then the second time you're like okay you should have known better the third time this is annoying you know these kids are starting to annoy me so the first half of that move of encounters is is great but again the ideas don't come together as, as tightly as they sh- should, and Rizamed is is fantastic, but there's only so much he can do with that film. Um, so that's that was Encounters, and you know you saw a film that I'm actually very interested to hear about because I didn't get a chance to see it, and it was a uh, Marina. Marina was that the name of it? Yes, Marina um, is a Croatian film, and it won the award at Cannes for it won the what's called the Camera Door which is uh, the prize given to the best first film. And uh, she, Antonetta Alemad Kustjanovic, made an award-winning short film called Into the Blue. Uh, I haven't seen it, but I hear that in terms of the setting, um, she goes back to the same place. And it's the same place. Uh, it's reminiscent of where she herself grew up. So um, there may be some autobiographical elements in Marina. Um, It it takes place on an island uh, in Croatia. And uh, so you you get these beautiful shots of the water, people in the water, because um, the father and the daughter in this film, uh, they're constantly diving into the water to to go fishing uh, to go spear fishing and you know the daughter especially she has she really wants to become a um, a deep sea diver and so the blues and the you know the blue of the water the blue of the sky is um, contrasted with the very white sort of you know that sun-drenched landscape of an island when it's all rocky um, and stuff so you know that could be a metaphor for things right and and basically it's the story about uh, this young teenager Yulia 
the one who wants to be the diver. Um, her father, even though you know she's she's constantly uh, doing things with him, she's doing things with him because he's ordering her to. He's he's a very um, very hard nosed, demanding man. You know, you come here and like one of the the lines you hear very very early on is you know. I'm tired of taking orders today. I think I've taken enough orders today. Uh, so it's a bit of also um, an awakening for her. You know, it's like a coming of age, except that there's this psychological drama that starts to unfold, which makes this coming of age take on this Harold Pinter type psychological terror kind of um atmosphere relationship uh it's it starts to become very deeply deeply disturbing in, in a lot of ways uh and it's all brought about by the fact that there's this uh old friend of her father's that's coming to the island um and so you know as with a lot of stories movies where you're it's set on in one location um, the arrival, you know, of someone else who comes in to like break the bubble, comes in with a different point of view, different attitude, different way of looking at life, different personality. So the, his arrival just starts to bring things to a head. And it, it, the Harold Pinter part is where things take on these proportions that are like, if you, if you think about it out of context, you go, that what that what happened here uh but in the context of the film it, the filmmaker is building these things so uh subtly in such an in such a way that this the intensity makes complete sense it's just it, it's a complete emotional logic that can only take place in the world of the movies do you, you know, that yes. may sound like a like a cliched way of of, of saying it, but I, it's, it's a huge compliment. It it makes complete sense. Oh, that's that sounds very fascinating. And I will jump off that with another film that I, I think has a, a, a lot of tension, uh, but this time it's a documentary and it's a film called The Rescue. And this is the latest film from the directing duo that um, brought us the Oscar-winning film Free Solo, um, that film about the the mountain climber who climbed without any rigging. Well, this one looks at the rescue operation that took place um, a few years ago in Thailand, where twelve young boys who were part of a soccer team and their coach got trapped in the caves when. Um, flooding of monsoon season hit and if you remember that story they were trapped in the cave for i think it was 17 days or so this film takes you into the rescue operation it talks to members of the the thai navy um, officials uh, but it really focuses on two british um, cave divers who were brought in to try and help. So the whole operation, there was, I think, over like 5,000 
individuals that were trying to drill, find different ways to get in. The divers then called some of their um, buddies and like basically the best cave divers from the world. Like it was a huge operation to get these children out. And if you think you know the full story, this documentary is a complete eye opener. Um, it's tense. It, it pulls at your, your heartstrings, but in a, in a good way. And you, you realize not only how difficult it was to get those children out, they, you know, they had to resort to some tactics that had never been done before and basically put the child's lives at risk to even get them out um, with just the way how the film is constructed. So you're on the edge of your seat for the bulk of this film. And there's a point where even the, the divers admitted that they were going to throw in the towel. They were planning to go home because they thought it was impossible. And the Thai government was like, nope, we are not giving up on these children. And then they, th- they started to think about, okay, well, if this is impossible, like what is the most far out way that you could do it? Like, you know, what far-fetched ideas. And then they kind of came up with something and said, well, let's try this. And then they eventually found the kids, but then it's like, well, how do you get the kids out? Um, and it's just a fascinating film that it's your jaw will be hung open <clears throat> by the end of the day. You'll, you'll be hugging the person beside you. Just, you know, remembering how great life can be um, and how sometimes the, the odd ducklings that like to go cave diving on the weekend could be heroes, you know, in, in the most unlikeliest places. So yeah, the rescue is a, a great documentary and yeah, I hope a lot of people see it. That sounds amazing. I yeah. It, it's, it's a phenomenal film. I was, I thought, well, there's no way this could be as good as free solo. And yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's just that good. Uh, I know you saw one that I didn't get a chance to. I think it was compartment number six. Compartment number six. Yes. Um, another prize winner. It won the Grand Prix, the Grand Prize at Cannes. And compartment number six is from a filmmaker, Yuho Kosmanen. So we we previously saw his work at TIFF when uh they presented the film, The Happiest Day in the Life of Olimaki, which was, you know, this this very uh, wry, humorous, um, you know, but heartfelt film. Um, in this this film is, is uh, a little less wry, a little more heartfelt. Uh, not that it doesn't have its wry qualities, which I think really, um, really adds a lot to this story because it's a story of two people who seem to be quite opposite who are forced together uh in a certain circumstance and um they're you know their, their differences seemed seem impossible to overcome and then the film is about how they do overcome that and the circumstance that brings them together is they're both traveling across russia and it's a very long train journey. And so they share a compartment and like they share a compartment because that's just the way, you know, the ticketing sort of gave them each a ticket in this, in compartment number six. So she is a, a postgraduate student, you know, very like an intellectual, right? Um, 
certain way of life, certain like beautiful standard of living. And he's a bit more down to earth. He's traveling to go work in a mine, you know, in a different part of Russia. And so, you know, this is, there's even a class difference as well as a sort of different outlook on life, difference in personality. Uh, it is, you know, it's, it, it's in essence, it's a road movie, but in the better sense of a road movie, it's a journey towards understanding, a, a journey towards empathy and compassion for each other. Like he's, he's kind of a very rough personality, very much like the first night that they're in the compartment, he polishes off a bottle of vodka and becomes incredibly obnoxious while she, you know, very genteel and, you know, she's trying to escape, but there's no other place on the train that has room for her, you know? So uh, I liked, I, I love the fact that we slowly start, the, the film slowly starts to, to come to an understanding, but it also starts peeling away at their differences and uh, peeling away at the, you know, the outer things that we see in people, like the impressions we have of people based on one evening or, you know, because we see them different, different aspects of them and how each of them has a different point of view of the other and slowly we see that. Um, and there is some clever humor in there but i mean basically it's a very compassionate view of humanity and i appreciated that especially you know in film festivals we see we see we see a lot of behavior where it's like ugh, the worst of humanity sometimes mm -hmm. it's just a it's just great to to have like this journey through that kind of a concept and get to a place of no we we can have a compassion for each other and uh yeah so that compartment number six um, that uh, basically helps me understand why you won an award at yeah. can well that's good um i have two more that i'll get to quickly and i think it a jump off both of them jump off of your last point well because one is about um the compassion in in humanity and the other one is about the worst in humanity so let me start off with the compassionate one first so i saw montana story and it is a drama from scott mcgee and david siegel um, they've done a couple of films like what Maisie knew and be seasoned um, so this new one stars owen teague as cal and uh, the great Haley lou richardson as Aaron and they play siblings who basically return to their Montana home because their father is gravely ill. Um, and it's one of those kind of slow moving tales where they have to confront a lot of past guilt and feelings that they have um, basically around their father. He wasn't the, the best individual. Um, and these two, Aaron and Cal, are, are half siblings, but they they grew up like, you know, just with a great love for each other until something happened that divided them um, apart. And this film is really about how life and the people that 
we are close to sometimes let us down. Um, sometimes they let us down because they simply just don't know how to help. Um, or they might be consumed with fear. There's talk of legacy. And, you know, one of the key points in this film is that they have to, the bank is going to basically take over the father's ranch um, and they have to figure out what to do with his stuff, including this horse, this really old 25 year old horse that Aaron absolutely loves and cow thinks that they have no choice but to, to sell. And again, that causes further tension. Um, and that's all I'll say about the the plot, but it's really just a great little character study of a, of a film. It, you know, it hits a lot of familiar themes that you would expect to. It kind of goes places you expect it to go, but it's done really well. Um, and you, you're in, invested in these characters and you understand each of their motivations and how it's kind of impacted a lot of their, their life. So Montana story, a quite a quiet little film about humanity and how even in the darkest times, you know, humanities will still find a way to shine a light of positivity through. Um, that's a complete opposite to the found footage horror comedy known as dash cam. Um, this is the latest film from, the Bloomhouse Studios, so I'm sure it will be hitting theaters quite soon. Um, and the director did a, a film called the uh, called Host. I guess another found footage film that came out last year. I haven't had a chance to see it, but it had a lot of rave reviews. Um, so this one, director Rob Savage openly admits that they didn't actually have a a shooting script. <clears throat> they had a a sketch of an idea of what they want to achieve. And then kind of, it was filmed during the pandemic. So you know, they essentially kind of made it up as they, they went along. And the premise of this film is you have an American by the name of Annie Hardy played by Annie Hardy. She's a, um, I guess like an indie um, musician, if I remember correctly, but anyway, in this film, she plays a woman who has a live stream channel. Uh, where she kind of just goes around being the worst human. She's obnoxious. She is a anti-vaxxer, anti-mask, MAGA hat wearing kind of individual. And she's tired of all the rules and regulations because of COVID that's going on in the state. So she hops over to the UK to go visit her old friend, um, Stretch, who was in a band with her many years ago. And Stretch is now... You know, like most people trying to survive the pandemic, he's got a job, a gig job as a like an Uber um, food delivery type of guy. He's living with his girlfriend and she comes in like a tornado and immediately just messes everything up, messes up his job, what have you, to the point where his stretches girlfriend kicks her out of the house when she realizes that not only is she obnoxious, but she's also a Trump supporter and she's not having that in her house. So Annie then steals her friend's car. And decides as a prank, she's going to pick up one of his um, food delivery orders. She gets to the restaurant, finds out that the restaurant is pretty much closed. So I guess the message went out by accident. Anyway, the owner comes out and says, well, since you're here, I will pay you a certain amount of money if you can take a friend of mine to such and such a location. And she realizes that 
this quote unquote friend is actually this elderly woman who looks rather sickly. Um, and he decides to do it for the money and all chaos breaks loose. Um, you, you start to realize that there's something not quite right with this older woman. Um, and not only is there not something not quite right with her, there's another woman who is violently trying to get a hold of the woman that Annie is carrying. So from there, it is just madness. All of this is being live streamed. There's times where things happen, but the the live stream itself, because of the signal, doesn't go through. But she's still carrying, you know, still filming everything on the phone. Um, you're seeing when the live stream is working, the comments, the internet comments. So some people are like, hey, call the cops. This is not normal. Other people are being trolls online, like how they are online, saying, ah, this is nothing. Keep on going, what have you. And on top of that, her friend Stretch wants his car back and his phone. And she's shocked that he even found where she was, but she's been live streaming everything. So it's one of those films where all I'll say is a lot of crazy stuff starts to happen. There's a lot of supernatural things. There's one point where she's literally in a, a fun house to show you just how crazy this horror film is. She's literally in a fun house. And at one point, I think she's in an asylum. Like The film is just crazy. It really, if the, when people say about throwing things at the wall to see what sticks, this is the visual interpretation of it, where <laughs> you walk away with a lot of questions. There's a lot of really interesting ideas in it, but they don't answer any of it. It's just, they move from one crazy scene to the next. There's a dark humor throughout that. I admit I did enjoy, and I like the, the sheer insanity of it all, but as a film, it's not good. It's, <laughs> it's, it's all, it's a lot. Uh, so I think there, I actually think there's a great movie somewhere buried in, in dash cam, but the filmmakers and people did not have um, any interest in really, investing in it it was more let's have a person that you're going to despise just a horrible individual and show you that horrible individuals tend to be horrible and will somehow get through some of the horrible things in life and that's essentially it so if the last you know several years of politics and division wasn't enough for you dashcam will take you down that rabbit hole even further in the most uh, <laughs> annoying, <laughs> annoying way possible, but it's, it's definitely unlike anything I I have ever seen. So I mean, I guess you could take that for, for what you will. Wow, I don't know what to make of that. <laughs> well, uh, you know, b- before we we go, let's end on a in a more saner note because I know you saw a documentary that I don't think we've talked about yet, um, Beba. Yes, Beba, Beba, uh, Rebecca Hunt. I think it's it's sort of a debut of hers, uh, at least in terms of feature film making. And um, you know, for people who who don't uh, like people to mess with documentary form, this is not for you. But for people who sort of love it when someone just shakes everything up, this is it this is the film and this is like a film that he's not like many others, especially in the documentary section of TIFF. 
And it's a, basically it's a personal documentary. It's memoir style, um, but it's, it's experimental in a lot of ways. Uh, it's not experimental in the sense that the filmmaker turns the camera on herself and her family. Uh, she has decided that she is going to confront her family's legacy of trauma, that like generational trauma. And, you know, that's not an unfamiliar territory these days. Um, but what's different about this film is that she, she, she turns it into um, a very edgy film where she says, you know, this is my version and this is the way I see it of what's going on, right? And she does ha feature interviews with, well, the family members that will speak to her, <laughs> which are her, her uh, parents and her sister. She doesn't include, for example, her brother, but that's because her brother is angry at everybody and that seems to say a lot. And then as you know, the, the interviews with family members are happening, you start to see the effects. Um, and part of the reason, I mean, I don't think you know, this should be narrowed down into like one reason over another, but one of the things I think that exacerbated, and she seems to point to, uh, that exacerbated tensions in the family was the fact that the father thought it was you know, best to try and raise the family in a better neighborhood in New York City, but that meant he could only afford a one bedroom apartment. And that one bedroom apartment was holding five people. So she herself is an Afro-Latina. Um, her mother's from Venezuela, her father's black. Um, and one of the scenes that really shows us the, the family tension uh, between well, it's a it's a just a very telling scene that says a lot about her relationship with her mother, um, and her own relationship, the way she views herself as well, and the tensions within herself is that um, she is trying to ask her mother uh, what it was like, how she felt about raising children with darker skin, right? Children basically that were black. Uh, being a Venezuelan woman of, you know, of Venezuelan descent. And the mother, it, it just, well, like, is so suspicious of the question and so suspicious of her daughter and um, anyone who's had any sort of like family dynamic like that will recognize the suspicion that comes from just asking questions. Uh, and so the, this film is very much about asking questions, but it's also, it, it's, it's an examination of where she's been trying to figure out her own place, like where Beva has been trying to figure out her own place, uh, not just within the family, but within uh, like circles of friends. She's got different, different groups of friends that she has in university. In university, she found herself more uh, running with a crowd that was um, more privileged. You know, a lot of white kids who came from families where the parents sort of, after they graduated, the parents took care 
of the of the kids I like gotten them jobs and stuff so so these people are a little bit removed from anybody who's struggling and and you know there's a t- also a telling scene where you can see the distance between herself and the way her friends view life yeah it's a, uh, a very awkward awkward moment yeah so you know um I found that the film like was very much a cry for understanding, under, you know, understand me, watch my story. You know, it's, it's a very passionate cry, but it, it's also um, the way that she moves, the way that the film moves. It's, it can be very chaotic at times, the imagery and the, the, the ferocity of the imagery, which really perfectly um underscores what she's going through uh but the the way that the film moves by the time you're at the end of it you start to i at least started to see this at least a greater acceptance within herself you know she seemed to make it to a place of peace and so it was like she was inviting us in to experience this process that she herself went through which, you know, in terms of, of documentary form, is like, is the most privileged, like privileged in terms of someone let us, letting us into their psyche, that kind of privilege, like someone being vulnerable enough on screen um, to give us that kind of insight and information. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's a very powerful film. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it as well. It was one that at first, I wasn't sure if I was going to like because, um, especially when it comes to to documentaries and people kind of turn the camera on themselves or their families, I'm always asking, well, what is it about you that makes you think you're worthy of me following you for a couple of hours? Um, and especially with the way the way how it starts off and the styles of it not being like the formal documentary style that you expect. I was thinking, oh, this is going to be more like a <clears throat> kind of a student film, look at me, you know, emo kind of tale. And it was really wasn't that. There was a lot of powerful moments. As you mentioned, there's a lot of uncomfortable moments. Um, the relationship with her mother is interesting. And also because it's being filmed, you know, the mother is constantly aware of how she's being portrayed and doesn't want to be portrayed a certain way. Whereas, Beba is just looking for realism. So in that kind of push and pull, it's like, well, if you get realism, your mother may not come out looking as great as you think the realism will will help. And the scene with her friends, I walked away from thinking, well, I'm pretty sure once they see this film, they're not. If any ties that you had to those people are are completely done because they they come off looking terrible. Um, And but it's also very relatable. Like, you know, I, I. I've been in those type of situations where those conversations have occurred and the look on Baba's face is the look that I've had of just like, what are you people talking about? Um, So yeah, it's, it's a very, it's a good film. It was one that caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting to enjoy as much as I did, but it it really did make me reflect on a lot of things of life, which is good. Cause you know, I thought it was a personal story, but it turned out to be a somewhat universal one. So that's quite an achievement. Yeah, that's that's what um, I think. That's what a great personal documentary can do. You know, it does answer the question of 
why you should follow this individual for two hours. It says, because I'm going to give you an insight into this, mm-hmm. or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to clarify this, or I'm going to give you a relatable situation. You know, as someone who I come from a family where people don't talk to each other for a lot of reasons. And, um, you know, it, there's this sort of this understanding that generational trauma and the way it affects relationships, the ones you, you think are like a given in terms of, in terms of, while well, they're your family where everybody's supposed to get along. It's like, no, this, this is a film that for anybody who's ever wondered why people don't talk in certain families, this is a film that helps give them an insight into why that's the case in this particular instance. And it, it gives you greater in, insight into why that could be possible for a whole host of people, you know? So, yeah, I think we've ended on a, on a very, very fascinating note, which yep. is the best way to end coverage of a festival. You know, to have gone through all these journeys and all these like different kinds of films and different kinds of experiences, it has made the whole the whole experience of covering TIFF of you know all that hard work we put in. It's <laughs> made it. It made me realize it's it's always rewarding in the end, right? Definitely, it's you know it's a tiring festival. Um, but it is one that every year you kind of walk away feeling re-energized because cinema has shown you different facets of life. And as you said, taking you down all these different trails. And by the end of it, you're, you know, you're, you walked out feeling like you've, you've learned a lot and emotionally your emotions are, are elevated to a, a good place. Absolutely. And on that note, we thank you all for listening and we'll catch you next time.